In this passage, we're going to be looking at the topic of God's law. God's law. There's a lot to say about law in the Bible. Um, There's certain things here I just want to bring out. It's not going to be exhaustive, not a complete study, but uh, hopefully it'll be enough to help you understand a little bit of the place of God's law in your life. Romans chapter 7, and we're going to read the first 13 verses. It says, Know ye not, brethren, then it says, For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which is, hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh... The motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, The law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just give me the ability to bring forth some truths out of this passage. There is so much here, Lord. We could spend so much time. But Lord, I just pray you'd give us a message today that would speak to our hearts, that help us to understand your law better. And Lord, that it have an impact even in our Christian lives today. We thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, chapter 7, we see here in verses 1 to 13, is really referring back to a thought that was talked about in Romans chapter 6, verse number 13. Remember, we talked about yielding your members. It says, Neither yield ye your members, in verse 13, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. 
And so here you have these relationships with the law, with grace, that many people take one way or another. Uh, we can have a law-based mentality that will bring us in a wrong direction that way. We can almost have a grace-based mentality that takes us too far in that direction because it's not really talking about true grace. But we make it into something that it's not. And so what this passage is doing is trying to get us to balance the law and grace together. Because it says there, and we've seen it over and over, the law is not a bad thing. It's good. It was given by God. Amen. But we have to understand the place that it has in our life. Now, notice that that first verse, Paul says that he's speaking to those that know the law. He says, I'm speaking to you that know the law. So if you don't know what the law is, and you're not understanding what we're even talking about, then how are you going to make sense of what he's really getting at here? And so I want to give you just a little bit of an insight here into what the law is that he's talking about. Now, the law really is referring to the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses is given to us in three parts. Number one was the moral law. The moral law is really just what you would look at as the Ten Commandments. Uh, and we'll look at that a little bit later. Uh, which really just define that God is holy, how he looks at things very specifically. And in that moral law, not only does it reveal that God is holy, but it also reveals that man is sinful. And so those laws, though there is aspects of that, like uh, keeping the Sabbath day that was given to Israel, but his moral attributes and what he is doesn't change. When he talks about holiness, he's always holy. He doesn't change his idea of holiness. And so that's important. The moral law is really what we're referring to here. Then the other part is the civil law. Now, the civil law, you're looking at 600 and some different laws that were broken off of those Ten Commandments. So now he's saying, okay, thou shalt not kill. But now what happens if someone does this and accidentally kills somebody and da-da-da? And he's got all kinds of laws and how to be just and right in how to handle that commandment. And a lot of people, they just say, well, thou shalt not kill. And then they don't look at the deeper things of what that really means. Jesus Christ defined it for us in, in uh, the Gospels. He says, thou shalt not murder. <laughs> Amen. So there he gives us a little more insight into what kill is. A lot of people say, well, that kill should just mean murder. Well, I don't think so. I think kill is the right word because it gives him the freedom to continue to explain in more detail exactly what kill means as far as that context is concerned, all right, uh, in the broken down law, the civil law. And so that civil law was given to Israel. That civil law, you can learn from it. Uh, we've gone through that in the book of Exodus. We took some services where we talked about the civil law and some of the principles that you could apply to your own life as you look at the civil law given to Israel. But the fact of the matter is, if you break that civil law, the government, the police officers are not going to necessarily arrest you today because they don't operate by that law. That was given to the country of Israel, to the people of Israel, to govern their affairs within the land, all right? And so that's not our law today, even though we can learn from it. The third part of the law is the ceremonial law. So there's no way that God's going to say, this is as holy as you need to be, and then just let you rest with that because he knows that you're not. He knows you're a sinner. And he knows there's no way you're going to keep that law. You're going to break it. You're, you're a transgressor. 
And so he provided a way through sacrifice that they could maintain every year through the Day of Atonement and the shedding of blood, and that would cover their sins for another year before the Lord. It never took away their sin. It just simply covered it because of the picture that it was giving of the future sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the ceremonial law, all of it, is pointing to Jesus Christ and what he was going to do upon the cross of Calvary. So now that Jesus Christ did that on the cross, we don't need to have the ceremonial law. You don't need to get a lamb and shed the blood and put it on the doorposts and so forth. Well, number one, that was never given to you. That happened one time uh, in Egypt when the Passover took place. And after that, uh, they, they did take the blood, but they ate of the lamb every year as a reminder, a memorial of that salvation. All right. And so, so we don't keep the ceremonial law because it was nailed to the cross. It was completed in Christ. They're simply shadows of things to come. Uh, we got people today, they would rather focus all their attention on the shadows than the substance. Amen. That, that's a foolish thing. Don't focus on the shadows. They're great teachers. I love the tabernacle. We've been going through that on Wednesday nights. But that tabernacle furniture are simply shadows of the substance, and that is Christ and the temple in heaven. Amen. And so important to understand that. So three aspects. So he says, I speak to those that know the law. So now you know it a little bit better. So as we go through this, say, okay, now I understand a little bit. All right. So the aspect of the law that we're really dealing with in this passage is that first part of the law, and that's the moral law, the moral law. And he even brings that up uh, within this passage. All right. So um, John 1.17 says this, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So the law was brought in by Moses. Moses is representative of this law-based mentality. Now, why was the law given to Israel in the first place to save their souls? Never. They, God knew it would never save them. It was given to them so that they would know what's wrong. They would know what's wrong with themselves. They would know what God requires as far as morality is concerned. And by the way, Morality hasn't changed since the day of Moses till today. God's moral morality is the same. He is not compromised like we have. Amen. We've covered that. We've changed things. We've made it less impactful, you know, and that's why it's so important for us to keep the law before us because it keeps us anchored to what the morality of God really is in its base form. Amen. And so that's a part of it. So, uh, Philippians 3.9 says this, the Apostle Paul is saying, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So the Apostle Paul is saying, when I meet God, I don't want to be found with the righteousness of the law. I want to be found with the righteousness that comes through the faith of Christ. So there are those today that are holding on to the moral law and saying, if I can keep these laws, then God will let me go to heaven. Then I can be saved. And many are doing that. Many movements and churches and people that you think, neighbors and friends and people down the street, they're holding on to the aspect of keeping that law 
so that they can bring that righteousness that they obtained through the law to God, and then somehow God's going to accept them based upon that righteousness. <laughs> That's a serious problem. See, in order for that law to save you, you would have to have kept it, well, back in Adam <laughs> first, but even if you were born, that you kept it from the day you drew your first breath and you never messed it up one time. Now, have you done that? No, you've all broke it. See, that's the same thing uh, Charles Spurgeon said. He says the law is like a vase, a crystal vase, that as soon as it was put into your hands, it slipped through your fingers and fell to the ground. And then you tried to pick it up and glue it all back together, thinking that somehow this, this is my righteousness now. <laughs> not realizing the Lord will look at that and say, that's not a whole vase. See, if you're going to get to heaven by righteousness, it can't be by the righteousness of the law. It has to be righteousness achieved some other way. <laughs> and that's why Jesus Christ did what he did. He kept the law for you perfectly. And then he died in your place because you broke the law. And then when you received him, he took the record of his righteousness and imputed it to you by his faith. See, you're not, you're not justified by your faith necessarily first. You're justified by the faith of Christ. That means it's according to what he said, not according to what you do. Amen. So let's say you get saved and you, you put your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. What he did for you is called the faith of Christ. That, like it says, it's revealed from faith to faith, from his faith to your faith. His faith is complete truth. His faith is just bang on. So when you take your faith that used to believe you came from a monkey and you took that faith and says, no, I didn't come from a monkey. God created us. Oh, guess what? Now a little bit of my faith has touched the faith of God. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I say, you know what? I can't get to heaven by keeping the law myself. I've actually got to trust what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me in order to get to heaven. Now my faith has been placed in the faith of Christ. And so I'm depending no longer upon the righteousness that I can gain through keeping my moral life straight because as much as I want that, I've already failed. And so have you. So there's no way you're going to do it. You can't. You failed. You're already a failure when it comes to the law. So he provided a way. That was a ceremonial law. He says, I know you're going to fail. I know it isn't going to work for you. That's why I'm providing a lamb. I'm providing a lamb so that you can receive the righteousness of God, not by the law, but by the faith of Christ. Amen? That's very vital, that particular truth right there. Okay? So the law. Um, I'm going to look at number one. Let's look at the dominion of the law. Verse number one, it says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, now you know a little bit more about it anyways, how that the law hath dominion over a man. So this is the thing, when you were born into this world, that law dominated you. And if you're not saved here today, that law is still dominating you. <laughs> now how is it dominating you? It's dominating you through sin. In Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, 
for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So what that means is, if I am under the law, then sin is dominating my life. That means the law, all it ever did, was tell you how to behave yourself. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All it did was tell you what not to do or what to do. But you know what it didn't do? Change anything on the inside of your heart. It did nothing in there. So those people that are looking to go to heaven through the law, they're saying, as long as I behave myself, then God's going to accept me. But they forget something, that there's a very corrupt problem in my life and it goes way deeper than my behavior. It's in my heart. It's right in here. See, if I'm under the law, that sin is dominating me. The sin has power over me. That's why before I was saved, I couldn't overcome sin in my life. All the addictions and all the different things. And I, I can't, I don't, I'm not telling you that a, a person that is lost cannot quit smoking. They can't. But that sin will always dominate them. I can't tell you that a lost person can't quit drinking alcohol. They can quit, but that sin will constantly dominate them. And for the rest of their days, it will, it will dominate them. Where they'll have to have it on their mind. They have to focus on the sin. With a Christian, it's not like that. See, the things that used to dominate you, after you're done with them, you move on. They no longer dominate you. That's because through Christ's sacrifice, the power of sin has been broken. Amen? But if you're under the law, that power of sin is still over you. So you can say, I'm doing real good here. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. But the problem is, in here, you're being dominated. That's why you can have a very religious-looking lost person, you know. But they're still dominated by sin in their heart. And so that's an aspect of domination. Uh, that happened in Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So everybody's a sinner here, and you all sinned in Adam. So you got your sin nature from Adam in that garden. You know you were there. You know that, right? <laughs> in six days, God created the world. On the sixth day, he created man. Do you know he didn't create any more men after the sixth day? Well, you're here. Where did you come from? You were part of the sixth day. You were created on the sixth day. You were in Adam. And that's why it says, in Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. So what happened is because of sin in the garden, everything within the first six days became cursed. And you're in the first six days. You see that, right? So you haven't been created now when you were born. You've been procreated. So your DNA, your information was all in Adam. You were there. And so the corruptness of that broke down and kept dividing until today. So we have all these people on the earth all came from one couple, one man, one woman. All the DNA came from Adam. And that's why his corruption is your corruption. His sin is your sin. 
Amen. You can't be born perfect because you've already been corrupted in Adam. You're part of this, the cursed creation, that first six days. That's why the Bible tells you, as a child of God, or to be saved, you have to become a new creature in Christ. That is the only thing that's been created after the sixth day, is the new creature. The only creation. So you think about this. The only thing that's going to make it past the curse is those that are part of that new creation. And that's that new birth, that regeneration. That's pretty good. <laughs> because in Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. So let me ask you this. Are you in Christ today? Has there been a time where you've received Christ? The Bible says that you were placed into him if you did. So if you're placed into him, you're now a new creature in Christ. So if you're a new creature in Christ, you already have life, and that life is eternal. You've already escaped the curse. Isn't that a blessing? Say, so, well, then why do I need the law? Because there's a part of the curse still with you right here. I wish that when I got saved, the Lord would just take me up home, or he would have just got rid of my corrupt soul and my body and just given me all brand new right there. I would have walked the earth in a glorious body, my thinking would have been right all the time. But that's not it, is it? All he did was make our spirit alive. <laughs> he regenerated us. <laughs> so we have a perfect part of ourselves in our spirit, but there's a lot of ourselves that isn't right. And that's our soul and our body. And he left us in that state. Isn't he mean? <laughs> you know, why did he just take us up home? Because he says, I want to show the world how that I can work through a sinner. And do a perfect work. So here we are, all still with our corrupt minds and souls, but our spirit is saved unto the day of redemption. We're sealed. And all that is going to catch up one day. Amen? That we're, if you're under the law, you're also in a dominion through works. The law puts a spotlight on man's efforts. So, all you're concerned about is efforts. Well, what you do, what other people do. Those that are under the law's curse are required to do all the law of God. In Galatians 3.10, it says this, For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now, that's bad because we've already failed. So we've already entered the curse. And we entered the curse in the garden with Adam. Amen. So anybody that's deceived enough to think that you can keep the law to go to heaven, <laughs> you're going to be very disappointed when you meet God because he's going to say, you think that you kept the law to do all, to continue to do all, all the things that are written in the law, you didn't do it. You failed. You broke the vase. Well, it doesn't look so bad. Not as bad as that guy. It's still a broken vase. Amen? And if you've broken one law, the Bible says it's like you've broken all the laws. If you've thought in your heart an adulterous thought, you're also a murderer. 
That's the depth of your guilt. See, this is where our problem is. This is why we need the law today. Because we're in a situation, what we're trying to do is we're trying to lighten the definition of what sin is. And, and that's why Christians are actually breaking the law today. Christians are going against the moral law of God, and they've justified it. <laughs> they've justified it. So there's also the domination through failure. So if you're under the law, you're in a constant state of failure. It says in John 7, 19, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me, Jesus said. <laughs> so here they wanted to kill Jesus. And he's looking at him saying, Didn't Moses give you the law, and none of you have kept it? You've all broken it. He's talking to the religious zealots. He's talking to the ones that everybody thought were the perfect enlightened ones. In fact, the word Pharisee means separated ones. They were the ones that were against everything. They were the ones that took a stand on all these things. Yet the Lord looks at him and says, you, not one of you have kept it. Not one of you. Then he says, why are you trying to kill me? In other words, you're the ones under threat of death. Why are you trying to kill me? <laughs> wow. If they would have just thought through that, amen. In Acts 15, we have the, the, the uh, account here where the Judaizers tried to go into the church of Antioch and tell them that they had to be circumcised and believe in Jesus to go to heaven. They were trying to mix the law with grace, with the grace of salvation. So they had a church meeting about that. Peter was there, the apostles were there, and they worked all that through. They went over the situation that happened with Peter, how that the sheet came down three times, and Peter explained this. God taught me that what thou call, uh, don't call unclean what the Lord calls clean. Because the first thing they did when they saw Peter was, hey, Peter, we heard you were in a Gentile's house eating with them. <laughs> you broke the law. Peter says, well, this is what the Lord told me. You see? So this is what he says in Acts 15, verse 8. Peter says, And God knoweth, <clears throat> and God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So these guys are so proud of their law that they were ready to go to this new Gentile church and go put a yoke on them <laughs> that they themselves couldn't bear. Trying to put the law on the church of God, church of Jesus Christ. It says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. So Peter set them all straight. He said, it's not just them that need to be saved by grace. Folks, we are saved by grace. The Jews that have the law. So those of us that are trying to say, oh, you need to keep the law, there's something wrong with your gospel. 
It's corrupt. Amen? So the domination of failure is on us under the law. You're always going to fail. You can wake up in the morning, you're a failure. Some people don't think, oh, I've done pretty good. Well, I'll tell you why you think that. Because you've never read the Bible. <laughs> the more you look into the mirror of the Bible, the more you'll see that the law condemns you. The more you'll see that you're actually guilty of what it says. And then you'll say, you know what, I have broken the law. I'm maybe not so good. Amen? Then there's the domination of death. You are living under the threat of the law's consequence of death. Because you failed to keep the law, there is only death as a consequence, and no life can be earned. The law did not come to give you life. The law can do one thing, and that's kill you. <laughs> you know, you keep it, that's great. You'll maintain. But the moment you fail, you die. That's what the law does. A lot of people think that going to the law is going to bring life to your situation. It's not. Well, I'm going to sue you. I'm... <laughs> as if it's going to make your life better. It's not. The law brings death. It brings condemnation, not reward. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 3, 21, this is good. It says, is a law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that by the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Amen? So he's saying if there was a law that could give you life, then we should follow that law. But there isn't. Because the scripture has concluded, the conclusion has been written, that you're all under sin. And the only way you could be saved is by the faith of Jesus Christ that you can receive that eternal life. It's the only way. Law's not getting you there. Now what about the duration of the law? Notice what it says here in verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so as long as he liveth. Now, folks, I can't get into a marriage sermon today, <laughs> you know, but this is true. Do you understand that? It's true, and he gave it as an illustration to a far greater truth. When you get married... And this is what we're going to teach our kids. This is what's going to be taught in this church. That they will be expected to be with that person till they die. Till one of them dies. See, if you don't, and you always keep that door open, they're going to take it. And that's not right. I'm not saying that if you've gone through a marriage situation like that, that somehow um, you should be ostracized or whatever. What I'm saying is this. The scripture says this is what marriage is. You are bound to your husband until you die. Or your husband dies. When your husband dies, now you're free to marry. 
So the illustration is, the law has a hold on you as long as you live. As long as you live. There's no time or, well, maybe when I'm 20, the law will let me go. Nope. <laughs> day after day, year after year, decade after decade. I hope you don't look, like, look at your marriages like that. Decade after decade. <laughs> Another year has gone by. No. But notice how God designed in such a way where you have two parties, and when one of them dies, the other one becomes free. There's you and Christ. He died, which made you dead to the law because when you got saved, the Bible says that you were baptized into the death of Christ. That law was released that day. Now, what part of that law? Was it the law that required me to not commit adultery? <laughs> no. It was the condemnation. It was the, the consequence See, that consequence was dominating you. The Bible calls it the fear of death. That you lived your life in the fear of death. And I know people out there, you ask them, are you scared of dying? No, I'm not scared of dying. Well, that's until you face it. <laughs> it's easy to get all cocky on God. If I meet God, I'll give him a piece of my mind. No, you won't. Because <laughs> when you meet him, you're going to get smart real quick. Real quick. But folks... Everybody that doesn't understand where they're going after they die is afraid. Everybody. And so if you're under the law, that's why they say, well, do you know for sure you go to heaven? Well, I don't know. I hope so. We'll see what God says at the end because they're under the law. They're hoping that somehow that God got this, this balance, this this. This, this weight, this balance. Scale. He's got this scale that when I put all the good things I did on this side, it's going to be heavier than all the bad things I did on that side. And so we'll wait till heaven and we'll see what God says. See, these people are under the law. They're trying to somehow by their man's effort or human effort enter into heaven. But they're wrong because I can already tell them that the weight on the bad side has already overtaken you. And there's nothing you're going to do on this side to make up the difference of the broken law. You've failed. Now, if that were true, and I believe that with all my heart, then what would I do? Well, I'd be afraid of dying, but then as well, if the Lord would come to me, hey, I have a way for you. You know what I would do? I would take it. And that's what the Lord did. He gave you a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. But people don't want that because they still think that somehow they're good enough. <laughs> I might be good enough. Or some people are so discouraged that they just know how bad they are and say, so there's nothing that's going to change in any way, so I'll just go to hell. I've met people like that too. But even those people are afraid. <laughs> a lifetime of bondage, of fear. That's all law can give you. No peace, ever. <laughs> and if you find peace being under the law, it's only through deception. And it says that a little bit further up here. So law has dominion for life. 
Death in Christ frees you from that bondage. One of the parties dies, you've now been made free. Death frees you from the accusations. Notice what it says there in verse 3. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. This is a great truth. So if you're under the law, you will always be labeled, according to your failure, you're an adulteress till you die. But the moment you become dead to the law, the accusation disappears. There's a couple of things I could say about that. The first one is this. Just because you think you're happier in a marriage that is an adulterous relationship doesn't make it right. Can I be an old fuddy-duddy preacher? <laughs> Adultery is sin. The law tells us that. Now, I'm not saying that if you've messed that up and I've got remarried and now I understand this now and, hey, just come before the Lord in humility. That's all. Confess it. Amen? And go on with life. But don't change the truth. Because that's what people are doing. <laughs> this isn't about us getting things right and then just going on from there. This is us about getting mad at anybody that refers to my sin and labels it for what the law calls it. Amen. We're living in that society today. You're not a drunkard anymore. You've got a disease. you got a disease. It's not, it's not a sin. No, the Bible says it's a sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that if you're a drunkard, that people ought not have fellowship with you, and you need to be put out of the church. Wow, preacher. <laughs> That's New Testament, by the way. See, because the law never changes. The morality of the law does not change. It's there for a reason. It keeps the anchor holding. Amen? Because if not, even we as Christians are going to start changing the definition of what it really is. And then we start bringing things, well, it's grace now. I've heard people use this passage to, to reveal that somehow I'm no longer obligated to marriage anymore. Saying, man, that's twisting scripture. <laughs> this passage tells us a lot. It tells us if you're married, kids, if you're going to get married and you pick that person, you've got to be with them for the rest of your life. So just don't go follow every example that's out there in the first two years I can leave them. The law says the rest of your life. Amen. And that's what this church preaches. Because the Bible says it. Amen. Amen. But at the same time, if we have failed, we don't condemn people. We want them to come to the realization of the truth and then to move forward in that truth. Amen. And serve and be used of God in every way possible. <laughs> you know? But that doesn't mean I'm going to change the truth for you. <laughs> because you're mad. 
you got to get the, like I said, uh, in my prior church in Kenora, the first church I, I pastored, there was a man that had been married three times. I visited him one day. Two of his ex-wives were sitting at the table. I walked in there and said, man, this is weird. <laughs> I taught the message I just taught you now in that church. He came up to me. <laughs> and he looked at me. He said, Pastor, when you started preaching that, I got mad. I said, oops. This was a tough dude. I said, okay. He says, but then I thought about it. He says, you're right. You know what I just did there? I brought that man to the truth. <laughs> and if I brought that man to the truth, he can bring his children to the truth. And if he brings his children to the truth, they won't have two ex-wives sitting at their table. Do you understand that? We have to say the message so we can change the generation ahead. We can't back up because we're scared somebody's not going to like us. Christianity already has changed their mind about it. They accept it part and parcel. They're, they're just totally for it. Preachers will marry you. It doesn't matter how many times. I won't. Because I can't get past the word of God. And if I lose everybody in the church, I have to go by this. We need to fight for our kids. They need to know what the truth is. And then we'll raise up a godly generation. That, you know what they're going to say? As long as I'm alive, we are married. Which means we're not going to quit on each other. We're not going to take the easy way out. We're going to work through the problems. We're going to turn to God. We're going to trust Him. Then we're going to take those battles that we've gone through and we're going to allow them to make us stronger so we can be a better witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Death to the law. Verse 4, it says this. Wherefore, my brethren, ye are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him which is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So, if you become saved... You are dead to the law. It no longer has control over you. The, the death of that law no longer holds on to you. Folks, you got to think about this. I've talked to people that have said, I believe that Jesus Christ died. And yet when they look at someone else that's doing wrong, they say, oh, I hope they don't lose their salvation. <laughs> well, are you dead to the law or not? <laughs> you can't be partially dead to the law. Either you're completely dead to the law or you're still under the law. There's two positions to be in. If you've received Christ, you've been placed into the death of Christ, which means that that law has been dealt with. The fulfillment of it in Christ and the penalty of it in Christ. You will never have to face that again. Think about this. Folks, your sin was judged 2,000 years ago. All of it. Not just to a certain time in your life. Not just to a certain age. But every aspect of your sin, back to the garden, all the way to the end of time, Jesus Christ dealt with all sin in that moment on the cross. 
If you received Christ, you were placed into that death. The Bible says baptized into his death. <laughs> You're not getting out of that. <laughs> See, because if you've been placed into his death, then you're also a part of his resurrection. And that's why the Bible says you're already seated with him in the heavenlies. Mm -hmm. If you're born again here today, <laughs> you've already got a seat with him. It's there. There is no partial law and partial grace. Either you are under the law or you're in the faith of Christ. It's the only way. Either you're going, to, going before God with the righteousness of your effort through the law, or you're going to meet God with the righteousness imputed to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are your options. Amen? So you're dead to the law through the body of Christ. Now, I have got more to say, and I can't do that today. <laughs> the duty of the law is an important point. I'm going to talk about that next week. But folks... I want you to just understand, and I understand the application of this. Maybe you're saying, well, preacher, I don't know how to apply that today. Well, let me give you this. If you're lost here today, that law is supposed to tell you that you're a sinner. That's why I've never committed adultery. You ever stole anything? Anything. Have you ever got the wrong change back you didn't give it back? Ten cents? Well, it was only 10 cents. Well, it's stealing. <laughs> 10 cents is breaking the law. You've lied. Jesus Christ takes it further. He says, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Your efforts, what you do. He says, I say, if you've lusted in your heart, you're already an adulterer. Have you done that? So if you're here without Christ... Have you lusted in your heart? You're a lawbreaker. Have you told a lie? Did you bear false witness? Have you ever coveted anything? Boy, I'd sure like to have that. And it consumed you? Wow. Everyone here is guilty. If you think you're going to get to heaven by somehow reversing that, and I'm not going to lie anymore, I'm not going to think... Sorry, you're corrupt. You're going to continue to break the law. You need to be saved through Christ. The Bible calls the law a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. It, the law isn't bad. It, it loves you. It says, I, I want to give you a better way, but it's not me. <laughs> it takes you by the hand and says, hey, you can't come my way. <laughs> but let me show you a way that you can. And it takes you as a schoolmaster to the teacher. It says, here's the Lord. Go through Christ. Because all I'm going to do is bring death. But he'll bring life. Amen? So if you're lost, it'll drive you to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what about the saved here today? What is the law good for? Well, you had not known, thou shalt not, or, or to lust unless the Bible says, thou shalt not covet. So the Apostle Paul said, You've got to stop redefining sin. <laughs> a lie is a lie. Adultery is adultery. Sin is sin. 
It doesn't matter if the world has completely whitewashed it. It doesn't matter if it's legal. Well, it's legal to drink. It's legal to smoke dope. It's legal to shoot up now, thanks to our government. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. You've got to take the right road. <laughs> now, you're not doing it anymore because you're scared of death. You're doing it because you know it represents the morality of your God. And now because you have Christ in you and the Holy Spirit, guess what? Sin no longer has power over your life. But if you're not going to be honest about what sin is, if you're still trying to justify your adultery, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're not going to get away with that. <laughs> You'll probably pay a price for that down here somehow. Even though the threat of death for eternity has been taken away. It still has a price. So we need to repent of these things. <laughs> oh no, my alcoholism is a disease. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a sin. You're smoking dope, it's a sin. You're doing drugs, it's a sin. If you're popping prescription pills because it makes you feel good, it's a sin. Call it for what it is. It's all drunkenness. <laughs> the Bible says to be sober, be vigilant. We're supposed to have our minds sober. The priest wasn't even supposed to drink wine because he was supposed to be sober-minded and be a proper judge in the service of God. We're all priests with God now. The king was not supposed to drink wine lest their judgment be perverted. The Bible says we're all a kingdom of priests and kings. We'll all rule and reign with him. Don't sin. For him that knoweth to do good, and uh, the Bible says, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Amen. Let's bow our heads. And folks, it's not just about changing your behavior. It's about changing your heart. That's why he says that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So don't be proud of yourself that you're not doing things that other people may be doing. <coughs> How's your spirit? I've seen some very self-righteous people think they were all that, yet they had a sour spirit. They missed it, missed the boat. Had no joy. No love for others. Just judgmental. Trying to pretend that they're better. You're not. We've all broken the vase. You've all broken. Just because you can glue it better together better than I can doesn't mean you're better. <laughs> We've all failed. We need to turn to Christ. Not just for salvation, folks, but for your Christian life. You're not going to live this Christian life just by doing stuff. You're going to live this Christian life by following Christ. The faith of Christ, it all comes from him. Don't let the law change you into something you're not supposed to be. Let it define the sin that we like to 